You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. We're talking about life in the real world, what it's like to live it out wherever you are at any time at any place. And we're doing so by looking at some of these smaller little letters, these little epistles that were written, uh, Jude and then, and then John's epistles here. And Second John, only 13 verses. We're going to take a look at the first six here. It's written by John, the elder, uh, the apostle John, the same who wrote the gospel of John and the book of Revelation. And um, <clears throat> notice the recipient is to somebody called the chosen lady. And this is either a real person who's a leader in the church that he is uh, sending this to, an individual that has been uh, doing a, a job of hosting people. I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Or it could be to uh, a church, and that is just sort of a uh, personification of the church, the chosen lady there. But notice in these first six verses, two words that jump right out at us, two words, truth and love. And in these verses, each of those words are used five times. Let me, uh, let me read here, beginning of the second epistle of John, Second John, verse 1. The elder... To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, and that will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. And I ask that we love one another. This is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So we've been talking about what are these... uh, marks of a, of, a, of, of a disciple that is living in the trenches. We talked about this idea of hospitality. Um, we, we talked about generosity. We talk here about this, this concept of, of love. If there is one thing that separates a true believer from a false believer or a non-believer, it is this idea of do they know and bear witness to the love of God? In the trenches, notice these two words, truth and love, two things that I want to pull away from that. One is that we need to speak the truth in love, but the other is that we need to have love be the test of our truth. You see, at the beginning, when this first generation of Christ followers were receiving the message of Jesus, it was so vitally important that it gets off to an accurate start. Because if it gets off going in the wrong direction as it goes down through history, it's just going to get farther and farther away from the truth. And so John is writing to these first generation believers in Jesus, and he's wanting them to make sure that their life is portraying an accurate picture of Jesus. And so he hits the idea of truth and love, truth and love, truth and love. And and as, as the message was spread, it was spread by traveling speakers, evangelists, preachers that would go from town to town And there were those that painted an accurate picture of Jesus, and then there are those who painted a a false picture of Jesus. And he is writing to this, this, this lady chosen by God or to this church, and he's saying, you know, when you invite people to come and you extend hospitality and you invite them to speak, 
watch their life and their words very carefully. Because if you extend this hospitality and put your endorsement on somebody that is painting a picture other than the Christ that we know and experience, then we are, we are really setting people up on the wrong direction. He goes on and he writes here in verse 7, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Now there was this Gnostic form, Gnosticism form of Christianity back then, which I won't go into detail, but it basically denied the literal physical birth and body of Jesus Christ. Jesus was just this sort of uh, appearance of God, wasn't fully flesh and blood. And, and the reason for that, uh, the consequences of that is to be a Gnostic believer, one had to be extremely ascetic in one's belief, uh, very, very, because flesh was evil, God couldn't dwell in the flesh, so therefore they came up with this theology. Or, or one could believe that your flesh doesn't matter for anything, so you could live a libertine lifestyle. So it was either very strict and harsh or very libertine. There wasn't this balanced view that Christ came in the flesh and lived in the body. So I'm going down a wrong path here right now from the point I want to make, but, I, but this is what was going on. And notice it goes on. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And any such person is a deceiver. And notice what he says, the Antichrist. That's pretty harsh words. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead does not continue in the teaching of Jesus, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And notice here, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Wow. Anyone who comes along and denies that Jesus didn't come in the flesh and teaches a gospel that does not proclaim the core teaching of Jesus, the commandment of Christ, that you walk in the truth, does not know God, and they are actually doing the work of the Antichrist. So for the person who's out there in the trenches, and when you're out on, you know, wherever you are in school or at work or at home or wherever you're interacting with others, and you're out there in the real life, in the real world, in the trenches, a person who claims to follow Jesus, but their life does not show the kind of Jesus that we know. They say that they're a follower of Jesus, but in their actions, they are not portraying this kind of sacrificial love. He's saying that basically they are teaching a false gospel with their life. If you look at somebody's life and they say they're a Christian, but, I, but they're bitter, they're angry, they're judgmental, they're throwing stones, they're hypocritical, and they say they know Jesus and they love Jesus, then if people didn't know the gospel, if they never read Jesus, they would think that's what Jesus was like. And we do not want to send a false gospel out to people by the way we live and claim to be a Christian. So if you're in the trenches, the primary characteristic that separates true believers from false believers is that they bear witness to Christ's sacrificial love. And when we say bear witness, we mean not just talk the talk, we mean walk it out. So what does sacrificial love look like in the trenches? I think we need look no farther than the Apostle John's writings. Because the Apostle John is known as the Apostle of Love. And let's begin with the Gospel of John, a verse that many of you heard first and foremost, maybe before you were ever a Christian, and that is John 3.16. So God, what? Loved the world so much 
that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So what more needs to be said when we talk about what is God like? God loves so much that he sent his son. The love of God, the sacrificial love, is first and foremost a love that gives. It is a love that gives itself away for others. So the self-absorbed person that claims to love God, but they're driven by greed and vanity, they do not understand God's love, and they are sending a false gospel. And the egocentric guy who claims to love Jesus, and yet he controls and manipulates his wife and his children and his co-workers, that person, though they claim to love God, they don't know the love of God because they're sending a false message to people. And if that's the only message people know of Jesus is that person's life, they will be led down a false path and they're doing the work of the Antichrist. So sacrificial love in the trenches is marked by a selfless desire to be a blessing to others, to add value to other people's lives. That's the mark of a person who follows Jesus in the trenches. Notice what else he says here in 1 John. Let's go back to the epistle before 2 John. 1 John chapter 3. And, and I challenge you this week, this little epistle of 1 John, I want you to read it outside of what we do here. Mark it in your Bible right now or in your smartphone. Tag it somewhere. The little epistle of 1 John, read that this week. And I just want to hit on a few verses because he drives the point home so hard. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and yet that is what we are. We're not just a friend of God, we're the children of God. And the reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. So now we're the children of God and what we're going to be has not yet been made known. But when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. In other words, we're not totally what he is, but we're on our way. We're in process. Verse 11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. What? We should love one another. The message from the beginning We should love one another. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because how? We tell everybody that we have because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a fellow believer is a murderer and you know that murderers, no murderer has eternal life in heaven. Look at what he goes on to say, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for another, for one another. If any of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? In other words, if you can't care for other people, do you really know the love of God? This is the core of what it is to bear witness to Christ in the trenches. Dear children, let us love not with words or tongue, but with actions, and there's that word again, in truth. Don't just put on a false front. Truthfully love them with your actions also. So sacrificial love, at the very least, is extending our material blessings with others that, um, that are in need. And at the very best, 
It's laying your life down for another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you have heard of who he is. He was a German Lutheran pastor uh, during the time of the rise of Hitler. And um, he was in the U.S. studying, and he could have stayed here and taught at seminaries in the United States. He was a brilliant man raised among the aristocracy of Germany before Hitler. And, um, and yet, he got this message of God's grace in its deepest way at the very core and was a prolific writer, great speaker. And whenever Hitler came to rise in Germany, he decided that he wouldn't stay away, but he would go back. He felt like he needed to, to serve God and, 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 and go to Germany because he saw this false gospel that Hitler was preaching. And he was using Christian terminology and deceiving much of the German Lutheran Christians to absorb this kind of teaching. And he saw that that wasn't bearing witness to Jesus, that he knew. So he went back and tried to light a fire to the Christians in Germany to stand up against Hitler. And he worked with others to undermine Hitler and was involved somehow, some way, in a plot to kill Hitler. And he was imprisoned for that along with the other conspirators. And then at dawn on April 9th, 1945, just two weeks before U.S. soldiers liberated the concentration camp at Flossenburg, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, along with six other co-conspirators, was let out of his prison cell, stripped naked, and put up on the gallows and hanged. The camp doctor who witnessed the execution wrote, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor praying fervently to God. I was most, I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man, notice that description, lovable man prayed so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. And at the place of execution, he again said a short prayer and then climbed the few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Prior to this, one of his books was The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he said, when a man calls, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He didn't just talk the talk. He walked it out and lived it out. Sacrificial love is what most accurately bears witness to Jesus. In the trenches, it is not your talk that speaks loudest. It is your walk. It is how you make other people feel. It is how you esteem and value and lift up and extend that kind of sacrificial love for others that will make all the difference. 1 John chapter 4, one more verse, verse 7, and, and a few verses following that. Notice he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Living it out in the trenches is loving other people, extending that to them. You say, well, you know, I'll love those people who love me. Do you think Jesus loved you only when you loved him? I'm so glad that when I was in the trenches, I'm so glad that when I was far from God, God didn't say, well, when he gets his act together and he comes back, I will love him. It was while we were yet sinners, Christ gave himself for us. It is that that is the mark. And so we who bear witness to Christ must not just do like those, anybody will love those who love them back. But the thing that separates believers from unbelievers is can you love those who won't love you back? Can you love those who have not loved you first? And Jesus did that. There is a movement in uh, the Assemblies of God World Missions called the Live Dead Project or movement. And it is a commitment to reaching some of the farthest people from God by moving in among them and demonstrating God's love by our actions so that we might gain a voice with those who otherwise have a very distorted picture of what Jesus is all about or no picture at all. The Liddev movement realizes the places today where the church doesn't exist are harsh and fierce and lonely and demanding, yet there are teams of people who are saying, I want to go there, I want to move there, I want to live there, and I want to just show them by my actions what God's love is all about. It acknowledges that if unreached people were going to gain entrance into this idea of a God who loves them unconditionally, that, that they need to set aside their selfish passions and desires. They need to die to themselves in order to live sacrificially and demonstrate that love to people that otherwise are hearing a very different anti-Christian gospel that supposedly is coming from the Western world, though it may not be. It's the gospel that they're hearing. We have a couple in our church who are joining the Live Dead movement. And uh, they are moving, uh, Lord willing, if the funds can be raised and if they can get enough support, to Somalia. Aaron and Laura Van Leuven are these two. Now, this is just a little bit of a, an aside. Uh, this is Super Bowl Sunday. Many of you who've been here for a while know that usually on Super Bowl Sunday or just prior to that, my pastor... Robert Owen would come and speak to us. Uh, Robert Owen uh, demonstrated to me and to you so beautifully the love of God. You couldn't walk away from hearing him preach and not feel and not sense this kind of message that we're reading about today. He made you feel that way. Well, Robert, the Welshman, passed away two months ago. Um, Aaron Van Leuven is Robert Owen's grandson. And uh, so, you're not Robert, but we know Robert. 
and you were very close to your grandpa and my hero, and uh, Aaron is is uh, Aaron and his wife Laura. I I sat down with them and had a little conversation about what they're doing. I want you to pay very close attention to this, and then we're going to pray for Aaron and Laura after this is over. Since it's Super Bowl Sunday, uh, I am the replacement. I'm the second string quarterback for Team Owen. Um, my grandfather is Robert Owen, and uh, he passed away in November, and uh, so I'm here filling in for him, and <laughs> some big shoes to fill. But um, my name is Aaron Van Leuven, and I grew up here in Pittsburgh, um, over on the east side near Greensburg, and um, I grew up. Uh, from a very young age, um, like most folks, and uh, I was adopted from birth, and uh, I don't think it's entirely because of that, but I always had a sense that um, God had something really unique in store for me. Uh, Not that it was better than anyone else necessarily, or it was going to be more important. Um, I just felt that God had specifically chosen me and put me into the family that he did, um, and so I've always had a, a sense that I had no idea what it might be, but that God was doing something unique in my life. Uh, I, I remember it very vividly. It was the summer of 2001. I was at the Pendel, it was then called the Pendel Conference Center. And it was summer camp, and it was July. And it was on the right side of the altar in an evening service. And I remember God calling me into the ministry. Uh, and I thought... Uh, well, God, I wanted to be a doctor. Like, I want to be an eye doctor because they make lots of money and they don't have to deal with blood and guts. And, and I always had glasses from the time that I was a kid. And I thought, that's, that's my plan, Lord. But he had other, other ideas in store. And uh, I never told anyone about that for, for a few weeks. And I came back uh, and I was in church and a lady came up to me after service. I hadn't done anything in the service. I was just attending and she shook my hand and said, I pray God really blesses you in the ministry. And I was like, thank you? <laughs> I had no idea who she was. I've never seen her before, and I never saw her since. But at that moment, I was like, okay, this is it. This is what God is doing. And then I told my parents, and they said, oh, yeah, we knew. And I said, well, thanks for filling me in. <laughs> um, So I began my journey into ministry. I went to North Central University in Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, where our paths crossed. Uh, We didn't go to the same school, but we eventually found each other, thanks to the internet. (laughs) I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I grew up Lutheran. My mother was a missionary kid in Papua New Guinea. Uh, My grandparents were... Lutheran missionaries there for several years, and my grandmother was a missionary nurse, and so I grew up hearing stories about um, Papua New Guinea and um, pastoring the church there and my grandmother's nursing stories from there, and so when it came time for college, I thought, well, if I was a nurse, then I might be able to do some things like my grandmother had done, so I decided to study nursing, and while I was there, um, I had the opportunity to also major in Spanish, so that's what I did, 
and I spent several months in Chile and throughout Latin America really on a few trips um, with campus ministry um, and I thought for sure I wanted to be like sort of a missionary nurse in Latin America because that's just sort of what made sense. I knew Spanish, I'd been there, I understood the culture. Um, but when it came time to graduate, I decided to just spend a year in Minnesota, um, living with my parents and just gaining some experience. And during that time is when I met Aaron and we got married. <laughs> um, and we had both sort of thought, yeah, we'll do missions and um, Latin America's what naturally came to our minds when mm -hmm. we thought about missions. There, I know that at certain points I felt drawn towards missions, but it wasn't the sort of thing where, you know, you hear about kids from a very young age who think, I'm going to go to Africa, I'm going to be a missionary. It wasn't, that wasn't me at all. Uh, and I certainly never thought I would be a missionary in the context that we're going. And uh, I thought, well, just like Laura, we'll go to Latin America because I can speak a little bit of Spanish. I'm decent. She's fluent. It's safe. You know, it's a, it's a good place to be. There's beaches, you know. Anyways, uh, but God had other plans in store. Fast forward to January of 2009. We had just been married. Our plan was to stay, uh, our plan was to stay um, just in Minneapolis to live our life, to, cul to cultivate our marriage and our relationship a little bit further before we did anything crazy. And uh, I remember the missionary coming into our service and we just kind of looked at each other and it was kind of like an out-of-body experience. It was like we were in a movie and we just looked at each other and kind of nodded and knew that that's what God was calling us to do. Um, so we went to Tanzania and we served God in an inner city church there. And that's where we heard about Live Dead and God really grabbed a hold of our hearts. And uh, it's not to say that uh, it's been easy or it's been a call that, you know, that you just wholeheartedly embrace without reservation. Um, but that's where God got a hold of our hearts for reaching unreached peoples in East Africa. Live Dead is a strategic obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit to establish the kingdom of God in the church in places where there is no church. Um, particularly in this context, East Africa, among tribes that are difficult to reach geographically. Maybe they're nomadic, um, and it's more difficult to establish kind of a continual witness, uh, or people who are just resistant to the gospel, uh, like those in Somalia. Um, there are approximately 10 million Somalians in Somalia, and by latest count, maybe 200 Christians, um, which is about point. Uh, zero zero one percent or the equivalent of six, six in the six Christians in the entire city of Pittsburgh so live dead is a call to die to ourselves that Christ would live in us um, that we would embody the cross in front of people who have no exposure whatsoever um, and that God would be glorified in these people uh, in their in their lives, uh, and that they would have an opportunity to experience the joy that we experience through Jesus. Obviously, we can't go in and hold revival services, or we, you won't be getting letters from us saying three thousand accepted Jesus tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. That won't be happening. We hope. We hope it would one day, but um, in reality, it probably won't be happening the first. Um, couple years that we're there. Um, 
through my nursing education and experience and skills, God's really opened the doors for us there. Um, Somaliland is, they consider themselves to be their own country apart from the rest of Somalia. But because the rest of the world doesn't recognize them as such, they do not receive any kind of foreign aid, any type of UN services or UNICEF or Red Cross, Red Crescent, any of that goes to Mogadishu and usually never gets to the rest of Somaliland. So they're desperate for Westerners to come in and just give practical help like medical training. Erin um, will probably be teaching something along the lines of English or business because that's where he has experience, customer service, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm fluent in English, so, <laughs> so I, can, I can speak that. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll be going in with a secular organization um, that really only hires missionaries. Um, however, it's secular. And so all of our funds will be funneled through them. All of our papers will be funneled through them so that we cannot be traced as, well, it will be difficult to trace us as missionaries. So we'll be going in as humanitarian workers, giving practical help to these people. And in the meantime, it gives us an opportunity to share our own testimony, um, to share the gospel with these people in a one-on-one -on -one sort of relationship with them. The most dangerous thing for a woman to do in Somaliland, other than become a Christian, is to get pregnant. One in 12 women in Somaliland will die uh, from childbirth. And these aren't things that women in the 21st century should be dying from. They're not these like complicated diseases that we don't have a cure for. It's things like anemia, uh, eclampsia, obstructed labor, that sort of thing. Um, so the World Health Organization and UNICEF, they give several reasons for that maternal mortality rate. Um, they say things, they cite things like malnutrition, lack of education, lack of access to skilled workers. And while all that is true, I think that even below that, or because those reasons exist because of the attitude that a woman is worth half the value of a man. And literally, a woman is worth 50 camels, whereas a man is worth 100 camels. So she's literally worth half. But then when you look at that statistic, that one in 12 women dying from childbirth, you can't help but think that these women are viewed as even less than half. I mean, that seems sort of generous in my mind because when women are devalued like that, there's no efforts to um, promote their health. There's no efforts to, you know, do anything to, to help them. And another thing that really contributes to that mortality rate is the fact that over 97% of little girls in Somalia are, are circumcised before their 13th birthday. And it's um, just, it's a horrific, horrific practice. And it's, um, it's not endorsed by Islam. It's a Somali traditional practice. Um, even though it's actually outlawed, there's no way of enforcing it. They just don't enforce that law. Um, and so this puts little girls at risk for several problems later in life, including obstructive labor. 
Um, and that's not to mention all those emotional scars that go with having that type of mutilation done. So as a nurse training some of these um, midwives or nurses, I would be able to, to tell them that no matter what their society has done to them or how they've treated them, that there is a king who loves them, who laid down his life for them, no matter what's been done to them. I have many concerns <laughs> about going to Somaliland, um, not the least of which is the safety factor. Um, uh, the greatest danger is for Somali converts. The price of, of committing your life to Jesus and following him is death for a Somali convert. Uh, they meet in complete secrecy and it is no small thing to confess Jesus, um, which is why there are so few Christians. Uh, and most of the Somali Christians that exist today are Christians in other countries, whether they're in the, in the United States or in Canada uh, or in Kenya. Um, there are very, very, very few Christians actually in Somalia. Uh, and that has to do to the, the clan system that exists in Somalia. To make enemies with one clan, or to make friends with one clan, is to make enemies with all the others. Uh, and this clan warfare is what is the cause of most of the unrest. So, uh, safety is definitely a concern. Um, definitely leaving our families is a big concern. Uh, we don't have children, we would love to have children, and I can only imagine what it would be like to send your children, well, maybe not to send, but to allow your children to go to such a place. Um, I can't imagine that, and so that definitely weighs on our hearts. Uh, truthfully, the biggest fear that we have, that I have personally in going to Somalia, is what what will happen when the chips are down, you know? Uh, our love and our appreciation and our devotion to Jesus is such that we will go anywhere and do whatever and whenever he asks us. But when, when actual danger, when our life is actually on the line, how will we respond? So will our response be one of, per, of receiving his perfect love and casting out that fear um, or you know, when, when actual danger occurs, will we, you know, evacuate the country? Um, these people have no witness um, to Jesus. And w I truly believe that the greatest witness of Jesus is to embody the cross um, publicly before these people. And that's not to say we have a death wish, because <laughs> we certainly don't. Um, we hope to come back, and we have long-term goals, and who knows what will happen. We love uh, as a response as to what Jesus has done for us. Um, our love isn't uh, an emotional feeling that we conjure up, warm fuzziness towards someone. Uh, it's a response to what Jesus has done for us. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Um, and when John is writing these things, he says, I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete. And our joy is made complete when the revelation of his death and resurrection and what that does in our lives is 
made real to us. And so why should we love these people? Because it's the joy that we have received. Um, C.S. Lewis says that joy isn't complete until it's shared. And it, it's the kind of the concept that when you watch a great television show, like maybe you're a Downton Abbey fan or you love a certain song or you see a movie and you just think it's the greatest thing. And what is our response? It's to share that with others. You have to see this movie. You have to see this show. And that's, that's what love is. It's, it's the sharing of our joy. And our joy is most uh, complete when we realize that which God has done for us in Jesus. And so it's not that, that Laura or I have a particular affinity for the Somali people, a particular emotional, you know, warm feeling when we see them, or that, or that they're even more deserving than anyone else to receive God's love. You know, well, why should we go to Somalia when there's people on our doorstep that need the love of Jesus? Well, absolutely. Um, it's not that they are, it's the context that you find yourself in. Um, it's not necessarily that you need to go across the world to share Jesus' love, because you absolutely don't. It's the process of first absolutely coming to the realization that your greatest joy is in Jesus, and then that's what propels you to go wherever, whether it's out your doorstep to your workplace, or to Somalia, or to Timbuktu, or wherever you want to go. It's the context that you find yourself that determines who you love. What's more important is understanding who has loved you and letting that propel you. Without trying to sound super spiritual, prayer is the absolute most vital thing that you can do. Because um, nothing that we do without prayer will have any lasting eternal impact. Because there's nothing particularly special or unique about us. I mean, anyone can be a nurse, and I speak English, so you know my skill set. <laughs> um, but the power of the Holy Spirit going with us is the only thing that will accomplish anything lasting in a place like Somalia. So prayer is the most important. Second thing, um, we do need monthly, uh, regular monthly support committed to us. Um, because without the financial support, we can't go. Um, so uh, we can love Jesus here but we can't go there. And that's where God has called us to go. So we need monthly support. Um, if you're unable to, to support us monthly, uh, you know, a one-time gift is more than helpful, um, especially in the beginning stages like we're currently in. There's a lot of initial expenses involved with trainings and, and travel and that sort of thing. So that's absolutely helpful as well. Um, and so I don't want to downplay the financial need because it's it's quite large we're at a, we're at about 18 percent of our monthly committed budget right now um but but absolutely the most important thing is prayer you know? and that starts now um because we don't view this as like we're not the navy seal christians it's not that you know I mean, I do have some nice muscles, but they're not, <laughs> we're not any particularly, you know, uh, particularly more gifted than anyone else. Um, it's simply God's grace in allowing us to obey him. And, and so what we view this time when we're, we're speaking and traveling to different churches and speaking with people and groups is that um, the power of God would manifest itself to people and that they would realize that it doesn't take a Navy SEAL Christian to go to a place like Somalia. All it takes is the prayer, um, whatever, whenever, wherever Jesus, I'll do it 
wherever you ask, whenever you say, I'll do whatever. And that's all that we've done. And it's kind of a foolish prayer to pray because God took us up on it. <laughs> but that's what we hope happens. We hope people, maybe they don't come to Somalia, but maybe they realize that they're called to, to do something outside of their comfort zone and to trust Jesus and to get joy from doing that. Wow. Wow. Um, Aaron, I've, I've known you since you were a college student, I believe, and then you came back to Pittsburgh and started attending here. We've had a lot of lunches, and we spent a lot of time together. I've seen you as you went off to grad school and then got married, and um, just, uh, you know, through your grandpa, kind of knew of you, but then got to know you personally. And, and I just want to say, I uh, think on behalf of the church here, but even personally, Teresa and I couldn't be more humbled and proud of this decision that you're making. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I feel like we're family, uh, but uh, so there's that concern for you too. Uh, I said to Teresa last night, well, you know, maybe we can thwart their going by not supporting them. Uh, well, it's, it's funny that you should say that because... Actually, in my <laughs> devotions this week, I read a verse, and this is not planned, but Job 42.2 says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. <laughs> <laughs> we did not script that. We that didn't. is awesome. So you'll have so to take if, it up if, with God. If, yeah, if, if, if I don't want to be in the way, I want to get behind what you guys are doing 100%. We as a church are going to add them to our regular monthly support. But I beg of you guys, everybody here, to really get behind what they're doing and pray for them. What's the latest on what you're doing there? Well, to underscore the absolute, not importance, but necessity of prayer, um, the, uh, it was last Saturday night. Um, the Wednesday prior to last Saturday, we're go see, we're going as a team. And our team leaders have been in Kenya for six months learning the language, and they were just going in a, a Wednesday prior to last Saturday. And so they were in the country. And Saturday night, I sleep like a log. I don't know if anyone else does, but nothing wakes me up at night. There could be an explosion. It doesn't matter. But Saturday night, I woke up. Laura was awake, and we felt an urge to pray for our leaders. And we had no details. We knew nothing. And uh, so we woke up and we prayed for their safety, for the Holy Spirit to just be with them, to give them peace, etc. Okay, go back to sleep, which didn't take long. And uh, <laughs> so we wake up, and I don't know, does anyone have an iPhone or a smartphone and get the AP news updates? Last Sunday morning, I don't know if you remember, but there was an AP news update that there were specific threats made on Westerners in Somaliland and an urge to evacuate. So not six hours after our awakening to prayer, uh, we received news that, yeah, it's going on. So um, our team has prayerfully considered evacuation and have decided to stay in Somaliland. They've altered some of their daily plans, but uh, I don't say that necessarily to, to say it's a concern for safety only, although it absolutely is. Like I said, we don't have a death wish, but 
we're engaged in a very real, very real spiritual war. Um, and it's happening right now. And the enemy doesn't like the strategicness, the strategery of what we're doing here. This is his backyard. This is his territory. And he's had un, unrestricted access to this land for de- centuries. And uh, so, pray. That's yes, we want to do that. We want to do that. Um, and um, so I'm going to invite all of us to pray too. And then I want to invite us to give. But uh, would you just come over here, Aaron? Reach your hands forward, if you would, please. Let's pray for Aaron and for Laura. Lord, um, thank you, first of all and foremost, that you reached to us when we were stuck in the trenches. You extended love to us when we were going our own way, didn't give a thought about God, didn't care. You demonstrated your love for us and that you gave your life. I pray, God, that this sacrificial love that Aaron and Laura sense has changed their life, the joy that they have about that, that they want to share with others, that the people there will welcome that, that they'll welcome this joy, they'll welcome their help, they'll welcome their sincere love, and may they, through the relationships they build, help people to see that this is really what God is like. May they portray an accurate story of Jesus through their story. And I pray for results, God. I pray for Laura's work in the hospital there and uh, with those that are trying to help the women of Somalia. I pray for for Aaron as he builds relationships and teaches and works with business leaders there, those that are trying to make a living and eke out a life. God, let let their lives be a real blessing to the people that are there. And protect them and keep them safe. Surround them. May your spirit go before them, behind them, beside them, above them, and beneath them. And may they know that they are always in the center of your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 If if you want to pray for them, then... I invite you to do that. Teresa and I have their prayer card up on our refrigerator magnet with others that we pray for. Uh, If you promise to pray for them, I believe the greeters will be at the exits on your way out. Grab one of these. Um, Also, if you want to be kept informed of what they're doing and what's going on there, they would love to add you to their mailing list. You can just check that box here on your um, connection card there. Yes, please add me to their mailing list. We'll get the list and give that to them. Or you can talk with Aaron afterwards. Here's the display table over here, and he'll help you do that. And if you want to know more about the Live Dead movement um, or their email, uh, there is information there on that welcome announcement in the in the bulletin. Can I say one thing? Yes. Just make sure you write your email address on the card because there won't be a mailed newsletter. It's email only. And uh, we also have magnets over here, really fancy. Oh, we need more magnets. Good. 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 All right. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it'll only be via email, so you won't be getting uh, other mail in your post box. Um, You have been listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.